The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Thank you, Joe, for your prayer of confession on all of our behalf. You know, the, the word says if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think one of my favorite phrases in scripture is, the Lord longs to be gracious to us. Uh, When we come to him, it says that the Lord resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I thank you, Father, that when we do confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I thank you that we can declare confidently that in Jesus, when we come humbly before you, you forgive us. And uh, I just declare that for all of us, that in Jesus' name, when we come humbly before you, you forgive us. And I thank you, Father, for that. I thank you for your word that declares that truth. I give you our time right now as we come to you. that you would open up your word to us through your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Refuge Church, we're continuing through the five commitments. We are on number four, just to review them. Commitment number one is to pray, memorize, and worship one time each day. Commitment number two, to fast two half days each month. Commitment number three, to volunteer three hours each month. What we'll be looking at this morning is to share Jesus with four people each month. And then next week we will conclude with to read the Bible and journal five days each week. We are defined more by what we do than by what we say in the Bible, we are told that some will meet God in heaven expecting to enjoy their forever home only to discover that they never really knew God. Jesus says, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, and God will respond, I never knew you. How will God greet you in heaven? Have you really known him? We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus by declaring faith. But declaring faith is only the first step in following Jesus. God invites us to a personal experience of his presence and power here on earth. And these five commitments uh, won't save you, but they are a way of living that will help us share the life of Jesus to walk in the spirit and show the goodness of the born-again life. 
on earth. So we're on commitment number four this week. I think if I were to poll all of us um, how we would answer the following question. This is the question. What is the scariest thing we are asked to do as followers of Jesus? If I were to take a poll, I think the number one scariest thing would be evangelism. Uh, and evangelism simply means sharing the good news of Jesus, but I think the word evangelism absolutely terrifies most of us. Or at least it would be at the very top of our list. I think we're amazed by individuals who can walk up to someone and start talking to them about Jesus. But the thought of doing it personally, I think is terrifying to most of us. Um, and then to make matters worse, our elders have made sharing Jesus a commitment to do four times a month, which if you're really good at math, you can probably figure out that that means once a week. Looking ahead, that means that sometime this week, I know your hearts, your palms are getting sweaty, <laughs> your heart's beating. Uh, sometime this week, you're going to seek to share Jesus with someone. Um, I think I can pray faithfully once a day, easily. I uh, can read my Bible every day, easily. I can even fast by going without gummy bears twice a month. Um, actually, I don't even like gummy bears, so that's an easy fast. Um, and it would it's really not too much of a problem uh, for me to make a, a neighbor a pie. Well, actually, I bring a neighbor a pie that Cindy makes. Uh, you know, mow someone's lawn hang out with youth at an Oasis Center, or help an old guy like me across the street three hours a week. But evangelism, <laughs> what are we to do? I mean, I was thinking of some options. We could switch churches that don't require such commitments. <laughs> um, we could turn off Facebook Live. I mean, right now you could turn off Facebook Live and switch to watching football really quick and, you know, pretend that you didn't even hear about this commitment. Um, or, you know, you could say, well, evangelism, it's just not my gift. But the problem with these responses is that we really know from looking at Scripture that sharing the good news of Jesus is a command in the Bible. Um, one of the most common verses is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and I'll, I'll just read it for you. Jesus came to his disciples just before he returned to heaven, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make followers of me among all people. Uh, people will follow me. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those are Jesus' last words, his 
great commission to us before he returned to heaven. And then our memory verse, Luke 19.10, and it's a pretty simple one this week, but it's a great one. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In John 20, 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Meaning to do the very same thing, to seek and to save the lost. So the big question that uh, I'm asking this morning is, how do we do this? Uh, or to put it bluntly, how in the world do we seek to share Jesus with others without having an anxiety attack every time? <laughs> um, and the big idea is we do this as we remember how we've been restored and then seek to restore others as God has gifted us. Now, to understand that big idea, first I want us to look briefly at Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and just understand the verse, and then we're going to seek to answer the question. The lost, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The lost literally means in Luke 19:10 that which was lost. Um, in the Greek language, there's masculine, feminine, and neuter pronouns, uh, he, she, or it. Um, the word the lost in Luke 19.10 isn't masculine or feminine, it's neuter. And, and so it means literally the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost, that which was destroyed or lost or marred. And it's speaking about the image of God. It's speaking about our relationship with God that what happened, and what happened, we can read in Genesis chapter 3, was that sin happened. And Adam and Eve, they doubted God. They disbelieved God. They, instead, they believed the lie of the enemy, Satan, and they ate the apple, and as a result, their relationship with God was lost. That which was lost was the relationship with God that he created us to enjoy, intimacy with him. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, as a result, all, every one of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What God created us for, to, to revel in and enjoy and experience his glory, his presence, uh, we've fallen short of that. That relationship was lost. In Romans 6.23, we read, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages, the results of sin, the payment for sin, is separation from God. That which was lost was what God created us for himself was destroyed, was lost, was marred. But the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Literally, it means to, he came to search for those who were lost in order to restore what was lost. The word save is translated in many different ways in the New, New Testament. It can be translated deliver, 
or heal or make whole or restore. And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to search for us who were lost and to restore us back into that relationship for which God created us. Um, one of my favorite verses, if you've heard me preach, you've probably heard this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it's incredible that God the Father made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our relationship with God might be made right. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not remain lost, separated for eternity from God, but have life in him. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Isn't that incredible? I mean, what, what was lost was this relation. God made us for himself, and we blew it. We, we became separated from him, potentially for eternity. But, but Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, God himself, came, became sin on the cross for us, hung on the cross in our place for our sin so that our sin could be forgiven so that we could be back in right relationship with God. The Son of Man came to seek and to restore that which was lost. So the big question again then, how do we ourselves seek to restore in others what was lost? How do we share the good news with others without having an anxiety attack, even just thinking about it? So we're going to look at two things that to me are really helpful from Scripture. It's back to our big idea. It, number one, we remember how we have been restored. So important. Number one. And then number two, we seek to restore others as God has gifted us. And, and these are so important because... Too often our anxiety over evangelism or sharing the good news of Jesus is rooted in wrong thinking about how evangelism needs to take place. So the first thing, we remember how we have been restored. This is the starting point. You know, evangelism was never meant to be a program, but to be the overflow of a restored relationship with God. What did Jesus tell the man called Legion, whom he delivered from a legion of demons and who had been bound his entire life? And Jesus delivered him, and then this man wanted to follow Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus told him? Jesus told him, Go back to your friends and family and tell them what great things God has done for you. That's evangelism. Just tell others what great things God has done for you. That's it. Seeking the restoration of others is simply an overflow. 
flow of the restoration that God has done in us. Let me repeat that. Seeking the restoration of others is simply an overflow of the restoration of what God has done in us. What do you talk about with others? Um, if you know my good friend and fellow elder, Jake Wishoff, you will know that Jake, and I'm sure he's listening right now, um, talks about the Buffalo Bills and wings. It's hard to be around Jake without hearing about the Buffalo Bills or wings. Why? Because he's excited about, and I don't know how you get excited about the Buffalo Bills, but, uh, but he's excited about the Buffalo Bills and wings. That's it. Um, for some of us, it's grandkids. You know, it used to be our kids that we were excited to talk about, but now it's our grandkids we're excited to talk about. Um, it could be gardening. It, it could be fishing. I mean, what is it? It's what we're excited about that we talk about. In the same way, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ is what compels me. The love of Christ is what compels me. He said, for, for one died, and, and, and he died for all. And in his death, all died. It's, and, and that's what motivated and compelled the Apostle Paul. I've been asked many, many times over the years what it is that kept me going through the challenges of the coffee oasis. And this has always been my simple answer, whether it's to one individual or even speaking at a rotary meeting. Um, when people say, how, do you, how did you do it? And my simple answer has always been, it's the love of Christ that has motivated me. It's Christ's love for me, not my love for him, but his incredible love for me. You know, a heart of compassion for the hurting is important. But frankly, sometimes I don't feel compassionate. <laughs> um, I know that maybe you say, ouch, but that's, it's true. Um, loving others and bringing and longing for them to know Jesus has got to be an outflow, an overflow of us understanding his love for us. Um, listen to these verses in 2 Peter 1, 5-9, and, and they're, they're great verses, and they really hit right on this. Peter starts, he says, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, or brotherly love, and to brotherly love, agape love. Notice he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the this is the kicker verse. 
but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. That, you get that? I mean, what Peter is saying is if we are ineffective and unfruitful as a follower of Jesus, could it be that we've forgotten the incredible good news that he's forgiven us? That he's restored that which was lost in us, that the broken relationship, the marred image the destroyed relationship that, that Jesus, because of what he did for us on the cross, made that right, made us right with God. Have we forgotten? Do you remember? Um, if you have your Bibles, turn, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. I'm just going to read this really common verse, but it really captures how uh, this this point that I'm making and, and is so important for us in understanding how we can share the good news of Jesus um, without having an anxiety attack. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It's, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory, this incredible vision of heaven and at the sound of their voices the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke and woe is me Isaiah cried I am ruined as he viewed God in all of his holiness and glory he said I am a man of unclean lips and and I live among a people of unclean lips and my people have man my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty he realizes how lost he is, how marred he is. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, Isaiah's mouth, and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. What compelled Isaiah to go? To share the good news about Jesus. And this is a vision of Jesus that we're seeing here in Isaiah chapter 6. Three things. He saw Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his holiness, in all of his beauty. He was overwhelmed by his own sinfulness. And then he experienced Jesus' forgiveness. He saw Jesus in his holiness. 
he saw his own sinfulness, but then he experienced Jesus' forgiveness and experiencing that forgiveness, he says, I got to share that. I'm willing to go and share that. Can you remember? We must remember how Jesus has restored our relationship with God if we are to be about seeking the restoration of others. It's not just a program. It's not just a commitment. Longing for others to be right with Jesus, we have got to be impacted and experiencing right relationship with Jesus ourselves. That's the starting point. And then when we remember how we've been restored, we can then seek the restoration of others as God has gifted us. If you turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, this is a great passage in understanding how evangelism, us being called to share the good news of Jesus with others, is could be different for each one of us. It's as God has gifted us. Listen to this passage. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and he says, you know, who is Apollos? And who is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. So the Corinthians came to believe in Jesus through Paul, through Apollos, through others, as the Lord assigned to each his task. Paul said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God is the one who makes it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. And then he gives another illustration. The first one is kind of like a gardening illustration. Then he goes to a building, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, someone else is building on it but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ um, let me give some examples of how I think we often perceive sharing Jesus or evangelism um, is to happen but I don't think it's how God intends for it to happen uh, let's imagine that uh, I'm at a restaurant and the server comes up to me and says, are you ready? Meaning, are you ready to order? And I look at her and I say, are you ready <laughs> to die? That'd be pretty, pretty powerful evangelism there, huh? <laughs> or, or what if I'm at the bank and the teller asks, are you interested in a savings account? And I respond, are you saved? Is that how God intends evangelism to happen? One other, out for a walk, and I've seen these on church signboards. 
you're out, I'm out for a walk in the summer, it's hot, and someone walks by and from a good social distance, we'll assume, and says, man, it's hot out, isn't it? And I respond by saying, not as hot as it's going to be in hell. <laughs> um, is that how, I mean, that would give anybody an anxiety attack if that's how evangelism is supposed to be taking place. But I don't think that's what we read in, you know, number one, if we're to share the good news of Jesus out of our personal experience, experiencing of Jesus, we don't need to make these dramatic statements because it's going to be like excited to talk about our grandkids or, or, or our garden or, or we'll say the Seattle Seahawks or uh, that in the same way we're excited to talk about Jesus. It doesn't have to be some something that we conjure up, some dramatic phrase. It's, it's an outflow, an overflow of our experience. And then as what we read in 1 Corinthians 3, it's according to how God has gifted us. Paul planted, Apollos watered, Paul laid a foundation, someone else built upon that foundation. And it's, it's us understanding that the salvation process is God's process. That each one of us is a part of and each one of us plays a part, but, but none of us is responsible for the whole thing. It's God who saves. In planting a garden, not that I know this from experience, but from observing my wonderful wife, uh, there's many parts to a successful gardening. There's preparing the soil. There's planting the seeds. There's watering, fertilizing, weeding, harvesting, and many times fertilizing, many times watering, many times weeding. It's a process involving many parts and building a house in the same way. Drawing up, drying up the plans, digging the foundation, pouring the foundation, framing, electrical, plumbing, HVAC, sheetrock, painting, flooring, I think too often we've thought of evangelism as a one-person production. It's not. It's God gifting and using many different individuals to restore people into relationship with God. How do we relate that to these other things? It's, it's pr maybe for some it's praying. And it's preparing the soil as we, as maybe one or many people are praying for an individual that their heart would become tender, their heart would become convicted, their eyes would be opened, and, and preparing the soil by prayer. For others, their part might be living, a living example of what a follower of Jesus is. I mean, way too often, People who call themselves Christians aren't those living examples and people are being turned away from following Jesus as they observe someone who calls himself a Christian. For some of us, it might be just being those living examples of what it means to follow Jesus. So we're like that salt that makes people thirsty 
for Jesus because of the way we live our lives. For some of us, it might be speaking. Others, it might be defending, apologetics, being able to answer questions when people ask them. Uh, The other, some might be inviting, inviting someone to listen to something, to go to a concert, to, to hear a sermon, to go to a Bible study. For others, it might be just spending time with someone. It might be bringing a neighbor a pie. For others, it might be rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. As we look at 1 Corinthians 3, I guess the question for me is, how has God gifted you? And, and maybe each one of us will, you know, at one time be a waterer or a planter or a weeder or a fertilizer or a harvester. Or maybe God has gifted you in a specific way just to, to be a prayer or to be a, a speaker or to, to show hospitality. Are you a planter? Don't try to be a weeder. Are you a water? Don't try to be a harvester. Be a part of bringing the good news of Jesus to others in the way that God has made you. In the way that God has made you to overflow him and your love for him, his love for you to others who desperately need to know the good news of Jesus. People who are lost need to be found. Their relationship with God is broken and needs to be mended. What part does he have for you to play in that? You know, only once in my whole life have I seen someone trust in Jesus through me knocking on their door and seeking to share Christ with them as a total stranger. One time in my whole life have I experienced that. It's not me. Uh, I would use up every can of antiperspirant uh, if I had to do that. Um, But here's some examples of how God has used Cindy and myself to seek the restoration of others into a relationship with God. And, And remember, this doesn't mean this is you, right? This is how God has used us. One of the most memorable um, ways was when we were in the Philippines living among an unreached Muslim people group and we were learning their language, we were living among them, we were uh, being interrogated by rebels every day. Um, How do you share the good news of Jesus with a people who don't want to hear it and think you're CIA spies? How do you do it in a way that they'll understand? Um, our our house was an, an open house at night time. We would have some people who wouldn't come during the day come into our house at night time and we'd meet with them and talk with them. But one of the most memorable occasions for us that we'll never forget was the last Christmas we were there. We requested um, of the village elders if we could have a conduli, which was a feast, but it was more of a religious ceremony 
community feast um, in honor of the prophet Jesus and his birthday. This was brand new. They would, they knew nothing about Jesus. Um, the elders, a village elders agreed, and so we did. It was incredible. We bought three goats and chickens, a hundred pound sack of rice, and uh, the women, the men butchered the goats and the chickens. The women stayed up all night cooking incredible dishes. The men built uh, tables in our yard uh, that the whole community uh, would be able to eat. And then on Christmas Day, in our home, uh, the village elders all gathered in a circle on the floor with myself. We had these food dishes in front of us. The rest of the community was either behind them or outside looking in the windows. And we celebrated this conduli. First, a friend of mine, one of the elders, uh, read Luke chapter 2, 1 to 10 in the Magindanaoan language. It had just been translated. They'd never heard before the good news of Jesus in their own language. And he read that. And it was incredible to see the faces of these people hearing for the first time that this baby who was born, this Jesus was the Messiah, the Lord. And uh, after he read, then I prayed in Maginadown and thanking God for sending Jesus. That's how in a very cultural way we attempted to share the good news of Jesus when we lived among this Muslim people group. Uh, for us, hospitality in our home has been huge. Cindy calls it open hearts, open home. Um, and we've had dozens and dozens of people live with us and, and giving us the opportunity to live before them, Jesus, in a way that they could tangibly see Jesus, not just talking about him, but they actually see that he's real and, and that as his followers, we have warts <laughs> and we make mistakes and, and uh, but how to ask forgiveness and how to be followers of Jesus. Hospitality in our home has been, has been huge for us. Prayer walking over the years has been a, another important aspect of how we've share Jesus as we've walked through neighborhoods and prayed for those neighborhoods and prayed for the people and then as we and then as people say what are you doing we'll say we're we're here praying for you all how God has used that as as an open door to talk to people one of the most impactful um, uh, ways we saw God work in one individual his name was Jerry Jarrett um, um, Jerry's with the Lord now. Um, Jerry was a, a meth addict, and um, his three kids would come to our teen night at the Coffee Oasis, and we built relationships, and we heard about their dad, and so we would walk on High Avenue and walk through um, that street, which was a huge drug area at the time, praying. For the people that live there, we saw. Um, we eventually we were able to get into the home, and we kind of caught glimpses of Jerry 
shooting up in his bedroom. Um, we just kept praying, walking, praying. Um, one time, one of us, it wasn't me, it was uh, actually Jason Tompkins and, and another individual were walking and happened to catch Jerry out on the street as they were walking by. Um, and they could tell that Jerry had just shot up. He had fresh needle marks in his arm. And he was ashamed. Um, Jason looked at Jerry and said, we love you. And at that moment, God broke the meth addiction in Jerry and brought him to saving faith in Jesus. Jerry became an incredible brother in Christ, played guitar, loved to sing, loved to memorize scripture. He memorized hundreds of scripture verses in the years that God gave him before God took him home. Um, prayer walking. One-on-one -on -one relationship building with youth has been huge for us. One of the, the youth told me one time as we were sitting here meeting with youth, um, he said, no other adult has sat and talked with me like you were doing right now. Just the incredible difference it makes to just sit with people and talk with people, build relationships with people. See, evangelism isn't just cute little phrases or impactful phrases, but it's, it's an overflow of Jesus through us impacting other people. It's relationships, one-on-one -on -one relationships. And for me, a lot of those relationships have followed up with visiting youth and in the juvie or visiting him in the jail where I've had incredible opportunities to share Jesus with them. It's been doing Oasis Center talks as uh, at all of our Oasis centers we have opportunity to give little brief testimonies or share uh, the good news of Jesus. For me recently it's been um, as I've uh, going through my cancer journey. It's been sharing my journey through a blog or articles in the Kitsap Sun. And it's been amazing to me how God has used that and the open doors that's given me and a lot of lives of people have reached out to me and I've had the opportunity to talk to people further. You know, there's just, how has God gifted you? Uh, how would God use you and me to share the good news of Jesus with people who desperately need it? Um, it might be within your own family, with your neighbors, with your co-workers. Uh, it could be with a stranger that you strike a relationship with and you just have the opportunities you're talking in a natural way uh, to share the good news of Jesus. It could be in a positive way on Facebook. I mentioned the positive way. <laughs> it could be that you like to write poems uh, or sing songs. Um, to, just to conclude, this is what I'd like to share. Number one, if we're going to be individuals that Jesus uses to restore people into right relationship with him, 
It's going to happen, first of all, because we spend time with Jesus. Um, lots of it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, the religious leaders, it said, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They weren't Bible scholars, but these were guys who eventually it said they, they turned the world upside down because they were just so excited about Jesus. But it's because they had been with Jesus. Not in the past, but they were spending time with Jesus now. We've got to be people who spend time with Jesus, lots of time with Jesus. And it's in the things we see in the commandments, time in prayer, time in memory, time in the word, time in worship. And as we do that, and as Jesus becomes so important and we continue to fall more and more in love with him, he's going to overflow more and more out of us. And it's going to be just a part of our conversations and our relationships. Number one, spending time with Jesus. Number two, being who God has made you to be. Being who God has made you to be. If you are a planter, plant. If he's made you to be a water, water. If he's made you to be a harvester, harvester. Make a pie, write a poem, visit a neighbor. Ask someone if you can pray for them. It's very rare that if you're in conversation with someone, even a stranger, and they're sharing a burden or a need, and you ask if you can pray for them, it's pretty rare that someone wouldn't say yes. Live and love like Jesus with those around you. And then the third, be intentional. our verse in Luke nineteen ten says, Jesus came to seek and to restore that which was lost. Be intentional. Live intentionally. People are lost and on their way to eternity without Jesus. Be intentional. Pray for opportunities daily pray for opportunities to represent Jesus, to live for Jesus, to speak for Jesus, uh, to make a pie for Jesus, to mow a lawn for Jesus. Um, Pray for people. Trust God to open doors. Experience the joy of seeing others restored in their relationship with God. Uh, There's no no greater joy than to be a part, one part of people understanding and accepting, experiencing the good news of Jesus, restoring them back into that relationship with God that they were created for. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for your grace your mercy that when we were still sinners when I was still a sinner Jesus died for me 
not, he didn't die for me because I was a good guy or because he saw potential in me. But when I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. And he went to the cross in my place for my sin as if I myself were hanging there so that I could be in right relationship with you. Oh, Father, I pray that you just continue to open our eyes and make us hungry to know Jesus, know Jesus better, to spend time with Jesus, to fall more and more in love with Jesus so that in our daily lives, our daily conversations, our daily actions, Jesus would overflow out of us and we'd be a part of seeing people restored into a right relationship with you. Father, help us to be people that just long to know Jesus better. Thank you. Amen. One of the ways that one of the one of the important ways that God has given us to remember how we have been restored is communion is the Lord's table, uh, taking the bread and drinking the cup um, to remember Jesus' body that was broken and his blood that was shared for us. And so if you'd like to just remember with me right now, I'd love to share this with you uh, where, where you are. If you want to just grab some bread and grab some juice or or water or <coughs> Whatever you have, uh, I'm sure God wouldn't mind if all you have in front of you is a, a, a mocha. Um, it's what we're remembering. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he, it said, first of all, he took the bread. And when he had broke it, he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this uh, in remembrance of the forgiveness of sins, which is ours through the shed blood of Jesus. Let me give thanks just one more time. Thank you again, Jesus, for your body that was broken on the cross for us, for your blood that was shed, for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, Father, for your amazing love. In Jesus, amen.